Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone. Charles Watts here. Welcome back to Inside Arsenal. As you can see, I'm joined by a a tanned looking James Benjamin. I can't work out if that's the light or not. Is that the light? But you should be tanned. You've just been away for a, for a week <laughs> or so. So James is back, which means it's time for Inside Extra Ta- Inside Arsenal Extra Time. We didn't do one last week. We tried. We got about 12 minutes into it, James, and your, uh, your Wi-Fi decided it just wasn't strong enough to do. Yeah. Or, or did I just pull the cable out of the Wi-Fi because I was like, mm, no, I can't be asked for this. I'm going back to the beach. Um I, I mean, look, I, I feel like I've timed this holiday really well because uh, I left a few days before the Liverpool game and still people are clearly very angry about that still. But uh, I have missed nothing, haven't I, other than that Liverpool game? It has been deathly quiet, mate. Deathly quiet. Um, you know what? I hadn't even thought of that. It was all a big ploy, wasn't it? It wasn't the Wi-Fi. It was just you wanting to go back to the beach. You wasted my time, didn't you? You just wanted to go back and get another cocktail. How was it anyway? Was it a good holiday? I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was great. It was absolutely lovely. Yeah, um, Cambodia, a bit of Ho Chi Minh City as well um, in Vietnam. Uh, in case people think I don't know my geography, yeah, just beautiful, great time of year to go away. I am fe- much like I hope the Arsenal players who've been in Dubai. I am feeling rested, recuperated, and uh, ready for the big push because. Um, it's going to be a rough few months ahead uh, for for anyone that's trying to cover football. I started doing my uh, accreditation for games, and I think I have about one every three ga- days between now and um, mid-February. So uh, it's going to take a lot out of us, but um, that's what we want, isn't it? Because I suspect you've had a, a rough old time th- keeping things going over the last few weeks. Yeah, it's not been. it's been so quiet, mate, the last couple of weeks. It really has, and... I, I did after the Liverpool game. It was it did feel like a nice time to have a little bit of a break from football. It felt like it came at a good time for Arsenal, obviously on the back of those results and the performances. But 
it wasn't long. It was only a couple of days into that. that I was just like, oh my God, so I want football back now. And the annoying thing is that we're, we're back this weekend, but then next weekend there's no game. So it's like another 10 days to Arsenal play, isn't it? So it's going to be another sort of quiet. It's, it's the sort of schedule that like a a like relegation threatened team have because they've just been knocked out of the FA Cup uh, and they don't have like a League Cup. It's, I mean, it, yeah, it's absolutely baffling. Um, there's some, uh, and obviously normally at this time of year, we'd have, at the very least, like even if Arsenal weren't doing business, we could like you know kind of give an Arsenal view on, say, what City or Liverpool or whoever are doing. Um, like nothing is happening. It's so weird. I saw someone say the other day that so far to this point in January, ten percent of what was spent last January has been spent. I mean, and that basically must be just Tottenham. <laughs> I can't, I yeah. can't think of anyone else doing anything. It's just Tottenham with that Harry Kane money burning a hole in their pocket. As a, the only club that have done anything, it has been just the most quiet January. Do you think that is like purely down to the profit and sustainability laws that you know before basically this window or maybe last window? We're, you know, we barely even spoke about really. We mm. occasionally mention FFP, but. You know, suddenly it's become a word just absolutely right slap bang in the middle of the football vocabulary all of a sudden. I mean, you know as well as I do that you'd sort of, when that first, that first Everton charge dropped in sort of early to mid-November, and you'd sort of, that's the sort of time when you're texting around, isn't it? And at that stage, you're quite often getting, you know, responses that are like, oh, yeah, we don't really know what's going to happen, keeping an eye on the market, you know, you're not getting much. And then almost within a few days of that Everton news dropping, it was like, almost, uh, this is beyond Arsenal, I'd say. So many clubs are like, yeah, don't expect, not, you know, not looking at doing much. They actually, I think they do, they've do. they been quite chilled by this. We know that Arsenal obviously were, were conscious of PSR even beforehand. I mean, it was really interesting seeing uh, Gary O'Neill today basically say, or yesterday basically admit that Wolves had, had just sold, sold, sold players to get mm. under this. So... I think the smart clubs, and I like in this context, I'd include Arsenal in that. I think the smart clubs saw this coming anyway. And maybe that's why we saw a lot of spending in the summer. Um, but they, yeah, I think it's, I think also it's just, it, what's also true is it's never been a good market. And I think that's never stopped people before, though. I mean, there was a lot of money spent last January. It's never so been a good think... market, but it still does end up you know, things still do happen. And we, we do still have a couple of weeks left or whatever it is. Yeah, a couple of weeks left. So there's still things might happen in this month and I imagine they will. But yeah, even even so, I've still never, never seen it as quiet as this. I, I think a lot of teams in the sort of bottom half of the table are probably priced in that uh, Luton, Bournemouth, mm. uh, not Bournemouth, Burnley and um, definitely Sheffield United are goners. So you don't need to sort of spend your yeah. way out. And I think those three teams have probably been like, well, you know, well, let's, that. let's if, try if and Everton, stay up with what we've got. If everyone get hit with another points deduction, then that relegation race is suddenly going to be thrown wide open again, you, you would think. <laughs> and they can't, they're the one team that can't spend their way to safety. Yeah, it does seem quite mad that it seems like they're going to basically be, they're being punished for the same the same thing again. It's I don't quite understand how how yeah, that that's works. unfair, isn't it? It's just it, unfair. It feels a bit weird, but um, I'm sure there must be. You know, it can't be that simple that they are just being punished for the same thing again. It has to be 
something else for them to face another charge on it. But I, I just haven't looked into it too much, to be honest. Well, it's what they say, isn't it? They say, look, you know, the EFL rules sort of say, you know, what is it, double indemnity or whatever, you can't be tried twice for the same crime, which is, which is effectively what ha what's happening. I mean, I, I find the Forest one fascinating because their, their whole defence seems to rely on, well, look, we would have... Yeah, we would have sold Brennan Johnson earlier for less. And it's sort of like, what about if you didn't sign? And I was checking the numbers here. What about if you didn't sign four left backs? What if you didn't sign four goalkeepers, five centre backs? Like, that might be where your problem is. Not that you were, you know, had to wait to take money for Brennan Johnson. They, you don't have a leg to stand on, guys. <laughs> Those are the rules. Yeah, I, I thought that. It made me laugh. It's like they're, they're, they're sort of scrambling around the defence about one one sale when they signed about 45 players in, in about two windows. It's like, yeah, I think you probably could have got your house in order a little bit better than that. Same with Newcastle, by the way, being all, oh, boo-hoo, we might have to sell one of our players. You might have to. Yeah, congratulations. Welcome to football. I mean, you that's know, what I said. I did this. I talked about this on a show on one of my shows earlier this week. I mean, these rules, it's not like these are new rules. These rules yeah. have been there for a long time. And the clubs were the ones who voted these rules in. And now suddenly, and I get since they were they were passed and everything like that, you know, inflation's gone up, transfer fees yeah. spiraled, wages have continued to spiral. So they probably do have to look at it and maybe take that into account. And but they're the ones they're the ones causing inflation, the clubs. Yeah, and exactly. I just think it's, it's the clubs have voted for it. A lot of them have help contribute to the explosion of wages and prices and values and things like that and then suddenly a load of them are complaining that it's stopping them from from doing a load of business so I'm, I, there's a lot of people that i'm not too feeling too sorry for i kind of feel sorry for everton because it seems like mm. they're being punished twice but everyone else it's like yeah well the, these are the rules lads and and you yeah. were central to them coming in so i'm not sure you should be complaining too much i mean from an arsenal point of view obviously it's been very very quiet since we last spoke absolute sod has happened um, oh, uh, apart from their signing Karen Benzema, obviously, <laughs> she's absolutely, obviously, everything we've spoken about in the last uh, few minutes um, can go out the window because they're going to sign 36-year-old <laughs> Karen Benzema. On, uh, on a million who, pounds a week. Who, who's earning about, what, 100 million a year. And, um, yeah. Sign him on a six-month loan deal. But it, all jokes aside, obviously, that's not going to happen. And um, I've, I've spoken about that in a show before but we have had a lot of people sort of sending in actually before i get to ivan tony i'll bring up there was a question i wanted to add let me find it for you that um from because i've had so many people asking <laughs> asking about benzema it's just made me laugh but <laughs> so news has been right this one from uh kahan so news has been rife about benzema coming to arsenal how would he fit into the current squad well jesus yeah. played in the eight role <laughs> yeah. and um it, I'm, obviously i'm not we're not going to answer that in in relation to him actually coming in because it's not going to happen but it was just making me it just made me think while i was reading it. i was like imagine if benzema did come in you know how would what would the team be with benzema in in it you know would would benzema start in this arsenal team right now and for as much as he's obviously a recent ballon d'or winner he's a fantastic player amazing player he has been playing out in saudi Arabia for six months i have no idea how sharp he would be so for all the name that's as big as the name is. I, I just I don't even think if he came in, which again <laughs> is not going to happen. But if he came, I don't even think he walks straight into this Arsenal side at all. Do you? I, I think he would. Do I you? mean, like, well, I don't want to take it too far back because I always sort of moan when other people say, "Oh yeah, you know, he did this thing two years ago." It's like he was two years younger then. But I was lucky enough, obviously, CBS Champions League role 
to pretty much follow Kareem Benzema around um, England during the um, Real Madrid's yeah. last Champions League win, where he just was sort of turning up in every city and just right, causing outright devastation. Where he was unreal. He I know he was. I know he was unreal in that run. I and he he did he wasn't much worse last season. So kind of, I he would was be a, like he was a bit worse last season. He was he was. <laughs> I'm inclined to sort of uh, if. In this magic, I presume Al Litty had here covering the wages, and yeah, this is Benzema's doing giving it, it for, giving away for free. Yeah, exactly. Benzema's doing it for the uh, to make make the dreams come true of all those kids from 2015 who dreamed he was signing. Um, I would assume in that in that I, what I would do is play Jesus left, Benzema through the middle, Saka right. Yeah, I think it would. I think he would. But like, I know what you mean. I mean, he's you're not exactly going to get. You're going to have to say that the um, the pressing uh, is going to take a little bit of a step back. Do you um, think? A little bit. Right, here's a question I, for you. Here's a question for you. Right now, given their fitness and everything like that, coming in right now, who would you rather, Benzema or Giroud? No, oh, no, you're going to make me say this. And I mean, Giroud. I've already said it. I said it as well. I, I would have Giroud over Benzema right now, and 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 people hate that answer. I know they hate that answer, but I genuinely would. I would. I would have. I would have Giroud over Benzema right now for six months <laughs> until the end of the season on a loan to get Arsenal through to the summer when they make their big summer signing as a striker. I'd I'd be picking Giroud. And, um, I mean, jumping ahead to that question, he's not the one I would pick of the sort of players linked. But the, imagine if you could sort of do this sort of this time machine and get like latter days Chelsea Olivier Giroud at Arsenal I sort of feel like the Giroud that was at Arsenal had was the one that learned sort of through you know he 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 learned through failure didn't he and he, there's so many cuts and scars that he carried to Chelsea that nothing could hurt him from then onwards and you know for a while I think he was I always thought he was underrated and I always thought he was a very good I footballer but maybe not a title winning striker but actually, I think the, the the player in latter days Chelsea probably was a title winning striker because you would you would have got a way better. Um, who was it then? Who you know who you know the players around him would have been so much better. I think if you you know the prime example here is if in those six months where it's just Lacazette, if you could swap Lacazette for Giroud, then do Arsenal make top four? Yeah, in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's quite sad, isn't it? That the way that it that. I mean, well, there were, there were, I think he left in, with his sort of head held high, didn't he? But it's sad that still Giroud has this reputation among the Arsenal fan base entirely based around um, a few months in 2016 where he, he definitely was not the only bad player and he, he wasn't the main problem at all. No, he got he got the blame for not winning that title. Um, and I think he got the blame for Mesut Ozil not getting the assist record, which I think a lot of people <laughs> care more about than the title. It's true. Honest, but... Um, it was, yeah, it was not just on Drew. Yes, the goals dried up, but everyone, no one played very well in the second half of that season. But um, I, I think Giroud's a really underrated player. And look, I'm not saying Arsenal should sign him at all. This is just purely hypothetical, but I think he's a good player. Like you, I think he's really underrated. And I think ultimately that signing, that deal, letting him go, did not work out very well. Because mm. that season, Arsenal had to play the second half of the season without Aubameyang able to play in the in the Europa League. And they ended up going out in the semi-final because they basically had only Lacazette and that was it. Because uh, Aubameyang was cup tied, wasn't he? And had Giroud stuck around, then he would have been available. And Mkhitaryan was wearing seventy-seven. Um, it was weird times. Yeah, and um, yeah, you look at what Giroud went on to win, and what he's continuing to do. 
<laughs> to be fair, he's had a remarkable career. And that's the latter stage of his career, from turning 30 onwards, just unbelievable. Fair play to him. Uh, this, the one at the bottom from Jordan, I, I wanted to include here, because obviously it's fun. Just being linked with Ben Zubin, it makes me laugh. It just reminds me of those hilarious couple of summers when uh, when it was all, all the links were going on uh, with him and Iguain and everyone like that. Although I think Iguain was obviously a lot closer to actually signing yeah. than Benzema ever was. But um, thinking back to Arsenal's links with Benzema 10 years ago and now being in the same place again, what player or few players do you wish Arsenal had signed in the last 10 years? I'm going now, he says linked or not, but I'm just going to ask you purely who were linked. Not, not obviously, because you mentioned anyone, but players who it looked at a time like might actually sign for Arsenal and they could have possibly got them. Is there anyone that sort of springs There's out to you? Someone that's, that springs out. But I mean, it's sort of that linked and not only were they linked, Arsenal made a bid, but, um, and you will remember this. I remember it was these, uh, a few weeks where we all went a bit mad, didn't we? Um, do you remember when Arsenal were trying to sign Kylian Mbappe? Yep. Whew. Just wait, you know, um, there's a report in the keep, wasn't it? One morning, uh, just sort of seeing Arsenal made a bid for Mbappe and you were like, yeah, sure they have. Yeah. And then you sort they of did, did, dig around. Did. Yeah. And you're I just remember, like, what? I remember sitting in a uh, press conference. It was one of my first, I think probably six months into the job at Football London, I was sitting in a press conference at Sydney Harbour on the pre-season tour to Australia. And I was asking Arsene Wenger about Mbappe. And, you know, they were absolutely trying for him that summer. Mm. And I remember writing a story. It's still, that story still gets reads go does the rounds on twitter every time does, yeah if, uh, arsenal getting increasingly confident about mbappe and i heard that from a good source at the time that um they were starting to think that wenger's influence was going to actually win through but then he just continued to get better and better and better and it just it all just you know it became too much but yeah i didn't even want to tell you a story yet. on that yeah i spoke to arsene wenger post-retirement um a few months after he or yeah, a little while after he'd left. And I sort of said, like, you know, Mbappe, did you think it was going to happen? And he, he said to me, if he, they, they were, they were looking at it in January, but they didn't sort of, effectively, it was like they're looking in January, but they didn't quite strike for it. And he thinks if they'd gone then, they would have got Mbappe, but they just left it too late in the end. And, by then he'd sort of elevated to a plane that was, I mean, he didn't say this bit, but, but you could tell it was sort of by then because he, he knocked um, City out of the Champions League, hadn't he? He'd mm. just looked like the best young player in the world, which he was. And they just, he'd reached a level that Arsenal weren't at at that time. Um, but they would have been if they signed Mbappe almost overnight. On a couple of occasions, before he signed his first pro contract at Monaco, um, yeah. Wenger and Grimondi were over sitting in his house in France with his parents and they thought they'd got him. But he decided to stick around with Monaco and, and sign that pro contract. And yeah, there's so many sliding doors moments with Arsenal. I mean, the famous ones, obviously, Ronaldo and um, even Messi to some respects. I remember speaking of Francis Cagliau about about how close that one was. Um, but Ronaldo, you know, they were, you know, they again, they thought they had him at one point. And then United came in and blew him out of the water with the money and, and football... Uh, history was uh went down another route but that was one i what i think about certainly in the last sort of decade or so that i think would have made a huge dif difference if wenger actually followed through for a minute i think wenger actually admits it himself it's one that he's really he he still thinks about in golo kante you know he was right there for the for the taking for arsenal and wenger chose not to do it and he, he admitted that's one of his big big regrets and 
I look back to that and when Arsenal were really heavily linked with him and they didn't make the move for him and um and he ended up going to Chelsea. I know they were looking at him before he went to Leicester, but also that summer when he went ended up mm. could have gone to Arsenal but went to Chelsea and you know, again, it could it could have all been a, a completely different story. He signed someone as transformative as that, who and he was that transformative at the time. He was just such a such a good player. Thomas Lamar as well, just because it would have been amazing if that story of people hammering on his uh, hotel room door had subsequently ended with him opening the door and going, yes, take me to Arsenal. What uh, an was, evening that was. That was a mad, mad. I was at Canary Wharf in Football London Towers during that uh, that transfer deadline day. It was a, yeah, that was a crazy one. So I think that's probably enough for the uh for the current we've got stuff. a lot of time to pad we do we do and there's not much bit to talk about at the moment so we're gonna there's lots of questions that is basically included this is almost like a q a type uh show this week um and so yeah there's plenty to plenty to talk about but uh, obviously did, what did you make of ivan tony did you see his interview uh with sky sports yeah. yesterday ahead of his return um he did. Well, only, <laughs> i'm not sure how, how happy i'd have been as a brentford fan just ahead of his return of him basically not shooting down the idea of leaving this month. I've only seen the clips because you, you always sort of fear with like, especially at this time of the year with Sky Sports and the fact that, you know, I turn on Sky Sports now and it's the transfer show, transfer deadline latest, transfer news, and nothing's happening. So I'm like, was this like one of 20 questions and it's the only thing we've seen and actually Tony spent a lot of time talking about the debt he owes to Brentford and all that. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, we've kind of known for a long time, haven't we, that he's, he's ready to move on. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. You sort of, you still hear suggestions that, that this, this whole saga might run right the way through to the end of his contract um, because it seems the least plausible scenario at the moment is him signing a new deal with Brentford. But I just what this pathway is that that ends with Ivan Tony moving away from Brentford this month. Like I still just I can't for the life of me see it. Obviously, if anything, you know, if they don't beat Forest this weekend, um, they're in big big trouble, which is ridiculous. And they they will turn it round. They are a good team that's just had bad luck. Um, but like, you, if you're in that scenario, you don't sort of. Test your luck by selling your star striker, do you? Especially when you've got no Embuemo, no Wissa, no, you know, so many players out injured. And you've got Sergio Reggie on there as well. Oof. It's not getting better. <laughs> how do you think he'll do, Tony? What, what are you sort of expecting him in the second half of the season at Brentford? Are you, are you looking forward to seeing how, how, he, how he gets on? I'm, I'm quite intrigued to see if this sort of layoff, you know, is there going to be any rust or anything like that? It's, um, you know, it's going to be all, all sort of eyes are going to be on him as well. Um, this sort of intrigue levels and obviously with the transfer stuff in the background as well everyone's going to be focused on it i'm i'm really interested to see how he gets on there has to be rust doesn't there it, you know he's played against southampton under 21s for brentford b team and he's played against oh, there's an italian team is it como uh, i may be wrong on that but there's an italian team in there as well it's not it's nothing to prepare him for premier league defenses and i mean i need to sort of I don't think he exactly sort of hit the ground running when he arrived in the Premier League. No one would expect him to. But, you know, this is like a this is a player coming back off, you know. Uh, it's not quite like an ACL because obviously there are, you don't have to sort of doubt your physical limits like you do when you come back from a big injury. But you do just have to 
you have to like kind of almost reintegrate yourself into a team and they will have worked hard on that on the training ground over the last four months but you have to you know i think i mean one thing to say and you know i quite enjoy watching a lot of brentford because they're a really interesting stylistical statistical team is they have changed quite a bit and how much of that will they will sort of keep going in terms of you know, looking to spring balls that are more in behind rather than trying to hit Tony. I don't know how much they will change, but it is a really different team. You know, there'll be no, I think they'll, have, there'll be they'll no have riot. They'll have to change. Yeah. I, said, well, I mean, I can't remember the last time we saw something like this. Even someone like Trippier was only gone for for three, four weeks. I mean, it's it's really, really hard to know. No, but... It's kind of like Cantona coming back after doing kicking the fan. Yeah. Uh, um... Sellers Park, although the difference, obviously, Cantona was walking back into a for still a very good Manchester United team. Tony's walking into a, a Brentford team who are clearly struggling right now and without some of his, you know, the the, the sort of front line that he'd made pretty fearsome with uh, those players also absent. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how he copes with it, I think. It's certainly going to be um, add a lot of spice, of extra spice to Brentford games. They're on TV, aren't they, Saturday night? It's already a televised mm. one. I think they're getting, yeah, they're sort of billing it as a big, the big return. So... Um, I think it's good to it's good it's good to see him back. You know, there's not too many top quality strikers in the Premier League right now, and uh, it's, I think it's uh, I think it's good to 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 get him back. And I think everyone's going to be paying very close attention to see how he gets on over the uh, over the coming you still, weeks. Are you still keen on him for the summer? I'm still keen on him. Yeah, I am still keen. On, I'm not keen on. I don't know. Oh, I was going to say I'm not keen on him for 100 million pounds, but then also I don't really care too much about what the price is. Um. Mm. It's not my money. It's what's the price of the other players, isn't it? You know, yeah, it's 100 it's... for Tony, 130 well, for did you, see, did you see today a Matt Law story in the Telegraph that Chelsea are valuing Armando Brozier at between 50 and 60 million pounds? It's just bonkers. Like, what has he done to be worth 50 to 60 million pounds? I mean, he's a 15 million pound player, a 20 million pound yeah. player. How could he possibly be worth that? I mean, what's Eddie Nketiah worth if Brozier's worth 50 to 60 million? <laughs> well, the one thing we know about Chelsea is. Um, they do tend to overvalue footballers. They do. And people have been replying to me today saying, yeah, well, look, you're saying that. The Chelsea are crazy to do it. They 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 valued Havertz at 65 million and we went up and spent the money on him. And, you know, they're quite good two, at getting value. Two million pounds a goal. That's what they're pricing him at. Well, is it? It's, like, it's, it's, it's probably about what they pay per goal, isn't it? That's the same as what Aubameyang cost only a few years ago coming from Dortmund to Arsenal at, at, at that level. And now suddenly players like Amanda Brozier are worth that. It's just crazy. And that's what, when I say I don't care about the money for Tony, I suppose the more hundred million pound transfers there are, the more it's just spiraling out of control in terms of the rest of the market, because everyone's looking at this. It's like um, Matt Law in his story said, Chelsea are looking at Brighton valuing Evan Ferguson at hundred million pounds. And to be fair, I can see that he's a very good player. But yeah. what, what has Evan Ferguson done to be valued at hundred million pounds? It's m- m- crazy. And, yeah, the more that these sort of transfer transfers happen, the more that's just going to become the norm. And suddenly, twenty million pound players are going to be valued at sixty million pounds. And, and where does football go from there? I don't really know. So, yeah, from saying I don't care about the money, maybe I do. <laughs> I mean, I think all of that can be true. Like you know, and that Ferguson, it's a big price to pay. I mean, what's Evan Ferguson? Nineteen. Yeah. Amanda Bray is twenty-two. Like he is now not a ultra young player anymore he of course is still you know he doesn't have a lot of football in his legs but you, you know that they, they can look at sort of the valuations of Hoyland and Ferguson and then they should maybe take a step back and go 
Hoyland was considered one of the best young strikers in the world. Ferguson is considered one of the best young strikers in the world. Amanda Broyer is not. Like, that's why they are, they're valued at so much more because they are the, the you know, the, the potential there, the ceiling for them is a lot higher than it is for Armando Broyer, yeah. who seems a, a good player, but like, you know, you don't, if he's your starting striker, you know, I mean, Southampton only just sort of clung up on that season with him at leading the line, didn't they? Yeah. He's not good. No. No. It makes me, you know, what's Eddie Nketiah worth? If seriously, he's going for 50, 60 million. And obviously, them valuing him at that does not mean that's what he's going to go for. But should he go for, should someone be mad enough to pay that sort of money for him? Then, you know, the money that Arsenal could ask for Nketiah is suddenly looking at about a 70 million pound price tag for Eddie Nketiah, surely, which is just mad it's just totally crazy it's just transfer madness honestly it is crazy and like you you compare it again to the hoyland transfer but everyone on this planet knew that hoyland was not worth that money that manchester united paid mm. it's just stupid money it was just manchester united being stupid which is what they always are in the transfer market and i don't think you, you can just point to one or two transfers and say well he went for that so he's worth this because Everyone knows United were just, it was just a crazy pr- price tag to pay for a clearly talented young striker, but he's just, he'd done nothing to warrant that sort of price tag. And, um, yeah, it's it's mad to me. But anyway, what, um, what are your plans this weekend? Are you at Arsenal on Saturday? I am. I did want to go to Brentford, um, but then, you know, you did tried I? to get back from, I, I thought about doing that, but have you done two Premier League games in a day before? It's hot, hellish. Not. I have not done two Premier League games in a day before, no. No, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't. It's daft. Um, you just end your mind is the sort of complete mulch. But I will, I think I will watch it. It's, it I, the winter break is a lovely idea and um, I, I'm fully in favour of it until I sort of sit down and turn the TV on and realise there's only four games this weekend. Um, mm. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to Arsenal Palace. It's uh, it's Massive. It feels like a bit like how I build the Fulham game, where you've got a team there that's, I mean, frankly, in worse form than Fulham are, but a team that's not looking particularly hot at the moment. Coming, you know, coming up against them, this should be a game where you not just win, but but fill your boots, um, and that's something Arsenal have not done in an awfully long time. That table looks so different with the three points in it. Even even if they play the game more than City, I mean, it's probably not going to overtake City, but just getting away from worrying about Tottenham in your rear view mirror a little mm-hmm. bit. I don't think there's much to worry about there with Spurs, but I wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to be sandwiched between them and Villa for much longer because that's, that is actually, you know, when we talked about, you know, at the start of the season, we were all saying, oh, what would be a good season or what would be a disappointing season? Scrapping for top four actually would, would for me would fall in the category of disappointing season even if it ends with Arsenal qualified for the Champions League. And um, I, I don't think that will happen. I think Arsenal are having their blip now and there will probably be a run of games where they get very hot in front of goal at some stage. But uh, yeah, it's it's enough to worry about, isn't it? Yeah, and this well, project gonna... goes backwards quite quickly if they don't get to the Champions League. Oh, big time, yeah. Uh, no, they're, they're, they've kind of lost their safety net now, really, with those those two results. It's It's... Yeah, they've got very little room for error now because when you're... And I still think Arsenal should be looking at the title. Obviously, I'm not ready to wave the white flag for the title race yet mm. by any means. But when you're going up against teams like Liverpool, Manchester City, who have been there, done that, both of them, 
recently. I know Liverpool are a little bit different in terms of personnel, certainly in midfield, than they were when they when they were going up against City. But they've still got that know-how um, of sort of muscle memory of what it's like at this stage of the season. And Man City, we know, just an absolute machine in the second half of the season. And they've got De Bruyne back now, which was very scary last week seeing that. Um, yeah. Yeah, not ideal, especially with Haaland to come back as well. But you can't, they can't, Arsenal, I was talking before on a show I did it just after the Liverpool game and I was talking about, you know, is this crisis time for Arsenal? I was like, I don't think it's there yet, but if this goes on for one or two more games, and it definitely is, you know, they have to respond this weekend. It's a really huge game that just, they have to take six points from tomorrow, sorry, on Friday, uh, Saturday and then Forest. You know, you've got to take six points from those two games going then before Liverpool comes to the Emirates in the league. You know, you win th- you win those two games and then beat Liverpool at the Emirates and things look very, very different very, very quickly. And, you know, it was only a couple of games ago that Arsenal were top of the Premier League. You know, so it's it, it can change. But like you said, this needs to be Arsenal's blip, doesn't it, now? Mm. This can't carry on and the blip can't turn into anything longer than it is now because it's not just those two games. It does go back to basically the Aston Villa game. I think it's one win in six or seven in the league, isn't yeah. it? There has been some good results in that. Like the win against Brighton was a very good one. The draw, the draw at Anfield was a very good one. Even the, some of the performances in those defeats have been decent, you know. But they can't. You can't keep saying, "Oh, okay, performance," but it didn't get the result. They now, if they want to keep up with City and Liverpool, they've got to win, and they've got to win now. Yeah, but obviously, the thing you can cling to is it's sort of like if the performances are there, then like they were against West Ham, like they were against Liverpool. In the um, in the FA Cup, you know, I mean, I, I I I wish somewhere someone could sort of talk to Kai Havertz about the benefits of hitting a shot first time because it's so rare he does that. Anyway, side note: like as long as the performances are there, I feel like you can trust that the results will come. Um, and so far, that Fulham game is not just the only sort of aberration of that run; it's like the only game this season yeah. where you've looked at it and gone, Arsenal were dreadful. And so it's it, it's just a freak game. Um, I think that's as yeah. You know, in the end, Arsenal are playing like a team that are in title contention. And sometimes those teams in title contention loot drop silly points. How often do you know? I mean, the one that always people always come back to is, is the treble winning City team got knocked out of the Carabao Cup by Nathan Jones and dropped points to Frank Lampard. Like it can happen. Mm-hmm. It can't happen for too long though. Um, no. So, yeah, like you say, anything less than six points um, before Liverpool, that may, turns Liverpool into absolute, like, cannot lose. Yeah. Um, it may well be cannot lose anyway. Um, we'll see what Liverpool's results are. But you you really need to make sure you, you're not going into uh, into this game with any sort of doubts and any, any sort of increased pressure beyond mm-hmm. what there will be for one of the, be- the best games of the season, hopefully. Are you going to Colney tomorrow for the for the presser? No, I got cleaners in. It's just it's isn't this incredibly prosaic life that you live yeah. when you work from home? I'm um, I'm interested to see what he's got to say, Arteta, tomorrow about what the mood's been like over in Dubai. He talked a lot about the reset, didn't he? Going there, and I think it did need a bit of a reset. I think, and a lot of the work from what I understand that's gone on over there, it's obviously been about you know, keeping fit and all that and training, but a lot of the work's been going on to, into minds as well as bodies. And, and I can kind of understand that because it was beginning to feel like when you were watching them, tired minds, um, 
sort of psychological issues in front of goal. It, it felt like they did need a bit of downtime over there to reset, like Mikel said, and sort of come back and, and be ready to go again. And hopefully they have sort of done everything they needed to do over there and they can come back because it can, like I said, it can turn quickly. And I, I would not be at all surprised to turn up at the Emirates on Sunday and Arsenal to win three or four nil, yeah. you know, a couple of goals to go in early doors and, you know, Martinelli to score, Jesus to score, Saka to score. You know, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if, if that happened because they've been threatening to do it and someone's going to get an absolute hammer in at some point if Arsenal continue to play like that and create chances and dominate the ball like they do in the final third. And, it could well happen at, at Palace. So it was interesting. They lost. They got beaten in the cup yesterday, and Hodgson took off Eze with about sort of half an hour to go, and got booed by the, his own fans for it. And he was saying, "Look, yeah, I'm disappointed, but you'd be more disappointed if he got injured and then missed Arsenal on Saturday." So he's obviously protect, trying to protect players as best he can for for Saturday. But the fact that they have played on Wednesday night in Liverpool, and then it's Saturday lunchtime kickoff. Arsenal have had two weeks to prepare for this game. You know, all the stars are aligning there. That means that Arsenal should should you know have a big big advantage for this game on saturday and they and they you know should be ready to really hit the ground running can't prepare that much for eze though if he if he's in the mood and if he's fit no. i mean the same with the, the one thing that worries me a lot about this game is you know whether it's zinchenko but probably more likely kivior whoever they have at left back has got to sort of defend against michael elise and that left spot that left there is just looking so vulnerable at the moment and I feel like that you know Elise could be a complete match winner for Palace I and mean, we saw how much of a slog it was to beat them at Selhurst now admittedly Arsenal had a ludicrous uh, red card against them and they defended quite well as, as well as, as I remember but mm-hmm. like those, those forwards can just do that out of nowhere beat you and score I mean, they don't, Palace don't look like a team that's capable of doing that at the moment. But I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it's just because you just can't believe that. Yes, Elise or Eze might do one moment of brilliance. But well, that's why Arsenal need to score more than one. They need to score and need to score more than one goal to sort of take that jeopardy out of it. And that's what they've not been doing recently, isn't it? That jeopardy's always been in games because they haven't finished games off like like they should have done. And what, what do you think he'll do, sort of team selection wise? I'm not sure about Zinchenko. He's He's still a doubt, and I, I haven't heard that he's been training over there with the rest of the team yet. So it looks yeah. like that one's dragging on a little bit, which, like you say, I'd, I'd, I imagine Kivior's going to play. Against Liverpool, he kind of went with more of a, a flat, traditional flat back forward, didn't he? Kivior didn't really play that inverted role. And you had Jorginho and uh, Declan Rice were playing basically as more of a traditional two with, with Odegaard playing as a 10. Do you think he might do something similar? If there is no Zinchenko tomorrow, how do you on Saturday? Sorry, how do you think he'll he'll set up for this one, or should set up? It's tough, isn't it? Because I think Havertz is one of a number of players that kind of needs to find their moment hitting the net again. And instinctively, against a sort of struggling Palace side, I'm like, Jorginho and Rice feels a bit safe. But yeah, I think we're maybe just at this. You know, you don't want to throw out the bit. Like I've just spent ages saying. Arsenal are playing well. So part of me says, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But then a bit of me just thinks maybe at times it's got a little overcomplicated. And like you say, sort of going back to something a little bit more balanced um, where you're not asking Jakob Kivior to do a job he, he just can't quite do as that inverted fullback. 
getting two midfielders, true central midfielders that sit and dictate tempo, using Odegaard as more of a pure 10, a bit more, hopefully, I mean, what would be one of the best things that could come from this winter break is if Ben White has just been able to, to suppress that niggle he's been dealing with. And if he was bombing on, I think Arsenal would just feel like a much more potent attacking force. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I do see the argument for sort of drifting away from the 4-3-3 towards a 4-2-3-1 and just getting things a little bit more organised and safe mm. and, you know, more 7 out of 10 rather than like risk of of 9s or 5s. Mm. I but quite like I think he'll probably do a fourth. I think he'll probably just do Havertz. I think he probably will do Havertz. I, I, I'd stick with Jorginho and uh, Rice, I think, and I'd have Havertz on the bench and put Jesus back as central striker and then maybe bring Havertz on as a striker in the second half if if, if things need changing or you just bring him on in midfield. But I'd stick with Jorginho. I don't think Jorginho's played enough recently. I thought he played well yeah. against Liverpool. And in the absence of party, just having that guy there who can play the balls like he does, I just I think Arsenal missed it a little bit. But um, like you said, I, I kind of agree with you. I think he will go back to the Havertz and Odegaard ahead of Rice. But I would quite like to see Jorginho playing there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Right, I'm going to move on some questions now for the sort of second <coughs> half of this show. We've got quite a lot of them to go through. Daniel here is asking why Arsenal are not looking to sell Ramsdale and Smith Rowe this window because they've hardly played this season. He said, can you answer the question on inside Arsenal? He then says, uh, Eddie's not improved and sell him. Uh, it's it's just not as easy as that, is it? I think I don't think Arsenal absolutely would want to sell Ramsdale and Smith Rowe in this window anyway because of you don't really want to weaken yourselves. I think if someone came in with a very good offer for them, I think they probably would though, yeah. certainly consider it. But I just don't think, from what I understand anyway, that that has just not happened. There's been inquiries, we know, from Crystal Palace about Eddie, but I don't think there's actually been a bid yet. Um, and there's certainly not been a bid, as far as I'm aware, for Ramsdale or Smith-Rowe. So I think it, unless someone actually bids for your players, it's quite hard to sell them. It's, it's basically as simple as that, isn't it? Yep. Exactly like you say, you know, it takes three to tango uh, in the transfer market. And, you know, it's like we were saying at the top of the show, there's been two permanent transfers in the Premier League. Uh, I think that's a a combined spend of £30 million, like you said. Is it really? Is that really? Is that true? Is it? Wow. The young Turkish lad at Brentford, apologies to him. I can't remember his name. um, And Dragasin at Spurs. 
And, and most teams haven't even loaned anyone because you know now, nowadays a loan is not a a cheap way of uh, strengthening your squad either. It's it's just not happening. And you know, if Arsenal there's a there's a balance to strike here as well, isn't there? Like if you start hawking around your players, kind of like Arsenal did with Kieran Tierney, you can find quite quickly that actually people go, well, they really need to sell these. They're really desperate to sell these guys. We'll make a, an offer here, but it'll be a bargain offer, and it'll suit us, not Arsenal. <laughs> I think. I saw, I just imagine Kieran Tierney there. I saw a report today. I have no idea if it's true. Um, yeah, but I saw a report today from Spain saying that Sociedad has decided already not to make that take that option up to turn that permanent in the summer. Again, I don't know how true that is, but uh, so I saw one of the one of the outlets in Spain was reporting uh, reporting that today. Wouldn't shock me, would it? I mean, like he's well, he's been injured, hasn't he? He's, he's back yeah. now, but he has been injured again. And his, you know. He will his his wages. Although he was not one of the best paid players at Arsenal, a well paid player at Arsenal is one of the top earners at Sociedad. I don't mm. believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. That Sociedad are paying all of his salary. I think Arsenal are helping out there because they had to get him out of the club really because there wasn't going to be a role for him. And yeah, I I, I again I hadn't even seen that report. But when yeah, you, like when I, you don't, I don't know. It, how, I don't know. I was like, true, yeah, but... scans, doesn't it? Makes sense. Mm. Uh, right, next up, we've got one from Brandon here. It says, extra time. Hi, Charles and James. There are some fans who want us to sign a striker and some a winger. I think we desperately need a central midfielder. At the moment, our left side is struggling defensively as well as an attacking-wise. player like uh, Cooper Menes, is that right? Is that how you pronounce yeah, it, James? Cooper Menes. Yeah, Cooper Menes. Would suit Arteta's style of play. He can fall in at left-back when Zinni's overlapping, joining the attack, and he can join the attack or put long-range shot when we go against the low block. Do you know if there's a reason why his name has not come up? With transfer targets linked to Arsenal. Well, I presume just because Arsenal aren't looking at him, um, but I, I don't know <laughs> that at all. But I, I'm going to throw this one over to you just because I'm presuming, again, given your far superior knowledge <laughs> of European football uh, due to your job, that you might see more than him than, uh, than I have. Not a clue. <laughs> no? I, I mean, I, I feel like I vaguely know enough to sort of get a sense of, of the sort of player that Brandon's talking about, which is maybe someone that is... Oh, I'm going to say a bit Granite Jacquery, you know, like a, a player that can, not quite box to box, but can can float in the middle of the pitch, can get forward. Is this a Zubamendi type? It is a Zubamendi type, I would say. Um, although more of an eight, I think, I think we will certainly for Sociedad, Zubamendi plays as, as a sort of tempo setting six. I really like I really like this idea. I don't think Arsenal were wrong to conclude that they needed a Kai Havertz or a a player playing at like the the peak of Kai Havertz's ability as a left eight. But I think they still need a player that's a bit more uh, granite jacket e. Now maybe that is just Declan Rice, and Declan Rice can't play there because Thomas Partey's been injured all season. Mm-hmm. That that that's kind of part of what I'm thinking, but we we do, we do know they're looking at you know guys like Supermendi for mm-hmm. realistically for the summer. I don't know as much as others that have reported on this. Um, I know there are a lot of people that are re- really across that story. Um, Koopman is in particular. Mm, sorry, I I should know more about him than I do. Um, not been great on my Syria this season yeah. but Zuba one that is definitely one to look out for isn't it um yeah like you I, it's not one that I'm absolutely on top of or anything but clearly there are other 
journalist who really believes this is a really sort of hot one and that it could well happen come the summer. He's got a release clause that makes it look very, very attractive. I mean, look, Arsenal are going to have to sort out that position for the long term. They're going to have to have to have a long term plan for that position because, you know, party, Jorginho, El Nenny, they've all got one thing in common when it comes to age and contract situations. So, uh, you know, long term, Arsenal have got to be thinking and they will be thinking about um, what they're going to do. And Zubamendi, I'm sure, is right at the top of that list. And he's one of the players that they are looking at. Um, you know, whether it happens, we'll have to wait and see. But I would suggest that the reason we're not seeing Cooper Miners sort of linked heavily is just because purely he's not really a player that sort of is on the list at the moment with Arsenal. They've got, they've got other targets. But thank you, Brandon, for getting in touch with that one. Here's one from Alex, which made me laugh. It's, uh, <laughs> I thought I had to put it on because I thought it was funny. Uh, why is everything on social media so negative about Arsenal? We were top on top at Christmas, and suddenly people are writing us out of the league. I think just the fact that you got the word social media in there, yeah. Alex, is the answer, to be honest, because basically social media has to be negative pretty much. There are some good things about it, and it can be fun. You've got to hunt around a lot to find the fun. but it A can lot be, more than you used to. It, yeah, definitely a lot more than, it, than you used to. But um, I just think loudest voices are heard and... That in on social media, there's a lot of loud people shouting very, very loudly and angrily. And um, uh, I think that's it's not just a case of Arsenal. I'm sure you, if you're uh, following any other football team, it's exactly the same. And when there's been a bad run of form, there are lots of people who think they know better. And uh, that's, uh, yeah. that's what it's like. It has to be said, um, this isn't inside Twitter or inside X, but I mean, the whole blue tick thing, and I know that I'm sure I'm sure you share my bitterness, Charles, that ours were snatched from us. Um, but that whole blue tick Twitter, a uh, blue tick um, thing has just sort of served to uh, what's the right what's the right word? But sort of raise the prominence of the idiots because mm. if you're paying Elon Musk eight pound or more a month so that your replies are at the top of other people's, you are an idiot. Um, and those tweets are the ones I, I see first. I, I mean, personally, like, I know you weren't as much of a sort of power Twitter user as I was maybe a year or so ago, but I don't, I don't even see the fun conversations anymore. Like, you know, you would see really interesting Arsenal supporters chatting about whether it's transfers, tactics, whatever. No one's having those conversations anymore because no. they keep get bombard, getting bombarded by loud, obnoxious a-holes that, that just want to, tell you that you're an idiot that your club's a dead club um whatever it might be that think yeah. that you are like a spokesperson for arsenal whatever it is um it's no surprise that certain bad faith merchants i see are back on twitter um, yeah well i think a lot of people have been waiting for arsenal to have a bad run of form as well haven't they to sort of they're set in their ways in terms of how they feel about the manager yeah. or about the team or about the owners or, or whatever and uh, they've been waiting for a bad run of form to start, you know, being able to voice their opinion again. And they're, and they're the, doing the joy that. of the joy of being any manager out is that ninety nine percent of the time you will be vindicated. Like so Arteta is probably going to get sacked one day. Like in the, it, it's unlikely that he walks on his own terms. Even Wenger didn't really kind of get to go in the right way. It's very no. rare that you kind of get to step out into the sunset at your high point and everyone's like, no, we want you to stay. It's the easiest thing in the world to just sort of say, Arteta's a, a rubbish manager, uh, Arsenal should sack him. Because eventually you'll be able to say, yeah, I've been saying this for years and look, I'm right. You might have been saying 2018 Arteta, right, or 2019, but you were 
you know, you were wrong in 2021 and 2022 when you were saying that. One of the best things about the sort of change in my working pattern since the end of last season, since leaving goal, is that I just don't have to be on top of news as much as I used to be. And so I don't need to be sitting like before on goal when I was working, you know, nine to five, doing stuff for them, writing stuff for them all the time. I always had to have my laptop open with Twitter open in case something happened that I needed to react to. And so I was just constantly watching it and looking at it. And it does get you down. And I think one of the nicest things about the sort of change in my work pattern now is that I just don't need to do that anymore. And, you know, I, I look at it from time to time. But, I, you know, it's just it's just different. I don't have to be bang on top of everything and make sure that I'm reacting straight away to things. And it, honestly, it's, imp- it's improved my day to day life mm. so much. It really has. It's a it's a very nice thing. Uh, but yes, yeah, so here's one from Jack now. So it's extra time. Uh, Arteta should get sacked. <laughs> this is just what you're talking about. If we don't win a trophy this season, what's your opinion? Uh, what about if Arsenal are 2-1 up in the Champions League final in the 89th minute? Uh uh, who are they playing? You tell me. Uh, Erling Haaland scores um, a goal that should have been ruled out, but isn't. VAR, don't intervene, whatever. And City win the Champions League on penalties. D- should you sack Mikel Arteta then? Yeah, it obviously needs context, doesn't it? It's like if Arsenal finished fifth and they go out to Porto in the Champions League and have already been knocked out of the cup competitions like we know they have early doors, is that a sackable offence? for Arteta this season so no Champions League football disappointing showing in Europe and out of both domestic cup competitions it's a tough one isn't it because I don't think he probably should but I don't think he could have any complaints if he did if you see what I mean but so yeah it's 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 a tough one and a lot of people say well why don't you think he should be if that if that happens and I can understand that a lot of people will think he should be sat from that but I just kind of feel like you're going back to square one a little bit. Again, I don't think that necessarily means that he's suddenly turned into a bad manager or the team's turned into a bad team overnight. I just think the Premier League's really, really difficult and you can go out of Europe at any single, any point. But I think a lot depends on the performances and everything like that of what we see over the next five months. But if Arsenal have an absolute car crash into the season and what I just described does happen, then personally, I probably wouldn't make a change. But again, I don't think he could have any complaints if the club decided, you know what, you've spent a lot of money with given you a lot of back in with sh- let you shape the club the way you want to shape it and you haven't been able to kick on this season and we're going to look for something new so you know I don't think you'd have any complaints but I, I don't think I'd be there yet I think you'd still for me needs I would still be giving him you know next start of next season see how it gets mm. on and, and all that but I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who'd be very different opinions than that yep agree agreed 100% Okay, so nothing to add to that. It's spot on. Right, let's move on then. Here's one from RVP is the future. RVP is the future. Ooh. Oh. You know, though, actually on that, um, his son, this will make you feel old, Shaquille Van Persie, is on the new football manager. Very good. He, is he? His SVP could be the future, but um, I wouldn't say Where's he playing? Play? He's a striker. I think he's at Schalke. Let me double check this. No, he's at yeah. Feyenoord. Sorry. You know when you play too much fo- football manager and you think yeah. that where um, players end up on the game is where they are in real life? He's at Feyenoord. Feyenoord. Uh, he's 17, which was about, about the sort of age RVP was when he when he came over. I remember when Arsenal signed RVP, 
and he got introduced to the crowd at Highbury. Uh, go and search for it if you don't know what I'm talking about now. But he walked out in the hilarious pair of jeans. Yes. I have ever, ever yeah. seen. Honestly, search for it now. If you put Van Persie jeans, Arsenal unveiling, it was hilarious. It was like, who on earth is this kid that Arsenal have just brought over? <laughs> it, it did make me laugh. The warning signs were there from day one. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, so what does he say? RVP of the future says, hopefully this is unique enough for you to answer. With Ka- would Kai, with a Roy Keane or Cristiano Ronaldo mentality, be considered one of the best in the league? I can't help but think if he had more aggression, bite or sheer will to win or be ruthless, he could tear this league up. I'm not a pro by any means, but I can't help but think he lacks oomph. And if someone can unlock him, he will turn into a beast. What are your thoughts on that? It's really interesting, isn't it? Because like instinctively, I'm always like, oh, but how do, you, how do you know he doesn't have that mentality? How do you know he's he's not a killer? Because you don't you don't know him. Um, and yet with with Kai, I sort of think you can say by his actions that it's not quite there yet. You know, it, I think that the extra touches. The it's it's not necessarily like I don't really care that his body language is always a bit languid and a bit sort of shoulders down because I always think with that it's probably just how he feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. But I do think when you sort of when he's on the ball, most of the time that I've seen him in England going back to Chelsea as well, he's the the extra touches, the not you know, he never he always seems to be in his head. That that's what it feels like watching him. Yeah, I definitely do. I, so, so in a way, yes, I do. I do agree with this. I, I don't particularly like the Roy Keane or Cristiano Ronaldo mentality, and I don't. I do. I do wonder how much that would sort of that is going to work over the next 10, 15 years. You know, it's the sort of it's the equivalent of Jose Mourinho, isn't it? He can't connect with players anymore mm-hmm. because the game and young people have moved on. But. It's that thing that it, you've used in succession, right? It's that thing that um, Brian Cox, who's now why are their names all escape me? Logan says at the end of series two to uh, not Roman. Why are the names gone for me? The old, the oldest son. Um, well, the president. And him, yeah, the guy, ran, the guy ran for president. No, oh, not the oldest son. He keeps getting forgetting, forgotten, doesn't he? Uh, his middle son, the eldest boy. Mm-hmm. Um, this is killing me. Anyway as he says to him, you're just not a killer. It just feels like Kai Havertz isn't a killer. I don't, but that you, you're not going to be able to change that. This is all like under the surface stuff. You need to accept that Kai Havertz can't have a Roy Keane or Cristiano Ronaldo mentality because Kendall, Kendall, there we go. That's... <laughs> how, how did I not get that? Honestly? Oh no. It's been such a long year of TV. It's, succession was a lifetime ago. Um, you, I, I generally don't think those sorts of things change in people. You know, I, I think Kai Havertz will always be a player that looks a bit introvert, that maybe does take things to heart a bit, or that's what it looks like on a football pitch. And I think hoping that we see that come from Kai, it's just a fool's errand. What, but yeah. what do you think? I mean, you know, I don't... I, I, get what, I get what you're saying. I mean, I think it's more in his actions when he's actually doing something with the ball that I that I sort of think he needs a bit more aggression because I think he plays with aggression and and you know I mean look at the yellow cards he's picked up this season he's already <laughs> picked up five hasn't he and you think back to the Newcastle game and 
the tackle that he flew in and and you know he does play with aggression i think it's one of his strengths almost is that you know he presses well he's there but it's just when he's then on the ball he just lacks that aggression the, the like you said the extra touches the the way he shoots it's all very safe and soft and you know he very rarely puts his foot through the ball it's like well i really liked his finish against brighton because he actually it went in the ball went into the net with conviction and i remember there was one mm. shot in the game i think it was against sevilla that he bent past the far post from the edge of the box that was just like wow i just haven't seen kai have it yeah it was like that. it was one that like you were like you shouldn't have taken that like yeah. and i like that you did yeah and it's just that conviction of actually putting his foot through the ball and hitting a pass like drilling a pass into feet instead of just softly laying the ball off and stuff like that i think the way he plays i think it needs a bit more aggression when he's got the ball but i think when he hasn't got the ball i think the aggression's there um which is which is strange but um yeah you know would would a would he be considered one of the best in the league with a keen or Ronaldo mentality? I, I just don't know. I don't know. It's a hard one to answer, but I think, yeah, I, I it just sort of stripped that all away. And I would just like to see him when he's on the ball, just show a little bit more conviction in absolutely everything he does. And, you know, hopefully he does, he can, but you know, we'll have to wait and see on it. Um, just quickly talking about TV. I'll tell you what, <laughs> it made me think of it when you were talking about succession and it's been a long year of TV um 25 years anniversary of sopranos by the way and uh it was good to see that honored at the uh, uh good to see that honored at the emmy and james gandolfini uh mentioned by michael imperioli um but i, I just we just me and michelle my wife just finished watching slow horses on uh on apple and i genuinely can't believe how good it was it was absolutely fantastic if you haven't watched it if you're like me and someone who for some reason kind of ignored all the hype about it then it is well worth a watch fantastic fantastic mm, it is right at the top of my list i downloaded it for holiday but never got round to it um, brilliant and once i get out of i mean are you watching traitors yes although i didn't i missed yesterday's one uh, oh. <laughs> uh, and i and i heard it was very good and uh so uh, i am gonna i'm gonna catch up on it tonight because yeah. it's once not my, that's uh, done it's not my night is. putting the kids to bed tonight. It's my wife's night putting the kids to bed, which means I can sit down and have the TV for a change. So yeah, traitors. Uh, I'm catching up on traitors on that. We've got here one from Mo Gump, who is from Chicago. So thanks for great content. Um, uh, let me start in true CW fashion with an apology for the length of this question. American sports fans, particularly baseball, can grow very attached to their announcers, play-by-play guys. Growing up here, I was blessed with some great voices in US sport history. Uh, Kerry Brickhouse Foley. To this day, when I hear those voices, I'm instantly whisked back to my eight-year-old self helping dad in the garden with a radio stuck in the window. I love that scene. It's a great scene of a, a young kid listening to radio. It's just another way that sport can connect with generations 100%. Uh, who are those voices for you, James? Are there any? Do Premier League teams even have team announcers or do different people do games every week? Can't really tell here in the States. Um uh yeah so thanks for that uh, mo gump says got your book for christmas and loved every page thank you very much glad you enjoyed it so yeah what what's their name is there sort of voices that you heart back to i, I mean to be fair you're only five years old anyway james so I'm not sure, uh, <laughs> we're gonna have the same tyler, no i think we're gonna have the same same one not Mar never martin tyler I, I love you martin tyler but you just soundtrack too many heartbreaking moments for me um yeah i mean so i have i have two which I think you will remember quite fondly as well. Never, never a Motti guy. 
felt mot- I my, my real issue, and there's a certain current Premier League uh, commentator who falls afoul of this as well, is I can't stand it when I feel like someone's already written um, what they're going to say for any moment. You know, I hate when it's not in the moment. And that's why my favourite all-time commentator by miles is Barry Davis, because Barry Davis was always as surprised as you were. And I, I only sort of got the sort of tail end of him and I never was old enough to hear him commentate on like the World Cup final. But I just loved when, you know, even when you see the clips back, you'll see one of the greatest goals you've ever seen. And Barry Davis will just go, oh, I say, and that's it. Um, I love Mike Ingham as well on Five Live. Uh, I thought he had this great combination with with Alan Green, who no one loved, but you needed someone like him. So, I mean, in terms as well of answering that Mo's question, Premier League teams sort of do have team announcers. So Arsenal have guys like um, Adrian Clark. We should also mention Russell Hargreaves, who sadly is no longer with us, passed away just mm. before Christmas, I think. Great guy who I met a couple of times. Um, but it's not it's not quite the same. So like, you know, in the state, I mean, I got my own US example as well. Mike Breen, who does play-by-play for the New York Knicks and ESPN NBA. Just an iconic voice, him and uh, Walt Frazier. But uh, no, I mean, come on, we're going to have the same. You've got to be Barry Davis, haven't you, Charles? No, no. I'll tell you what, who I am, and it's going to be weird. It's Jonathan Pierce, but it's not for... <laughs> It's not for TV. It's I was growing up. He was on. He was the lead radio um, commentator for Capital Gold, which was fifteen forty eight medium wave in London. And my, you know, the games in. I've been a season to Gold at Highbury since since nineteen ninety one, but from like eighty eight, eighty nine, you know, the whole title win up to Anfield. You know, I wasn't going to those night games and stuff because I was too young. And I'd be sitting in my bedroom listening to my little red radio that I had, tuning to 1548 Capital Gold. And Jonathan Pierce was always commentating on the Arsenal games. And I just remember so many of those matches that season, listening to him commentate. You know, I think of the Arsenal Wimbledon just before the trip to Anfield when Arsenal threw, did, when I drew 2 2 Wimbledon. And think of him when Nigel Winterburn scored that screamer at the clock end. And, that was just a soundtrack to my life. I even had at the mm. end of that that season, I got Capital Gold brought out a cassette tape of the season, <laughs> Arsenal season highlights. The Jonathan Pierce uh, commentator, okay, and he used to go he used to go nuts as well, like so nuts when he was doing it on the radio. It's completely different to what he's like on the TV, and it's just I've got so many memories of those seasons listening to Capital Gold and Jonathan Pierce. So, so um, I, I'd say him, you know, just great memories of as a kid. Uh, uh, yeah, great memories. I, I was certain of, you were going to say because of Robot Wars. No, no, not because of Robot Wars. I mean, Paul Burrell as well, who was um, the Arsenal, he was a hybrid stadium announcer for absolutely years. You know, everyone, uh, some of the old school Arsenal fans will know exactly who I'm talking about there. You know, he was just always the, the voice of Arsenal for a long time. Now we've got Peter, who's a great guy and who I in, in, interviewed for goal and all the wrestling fans out there who hear, uh, hear me and everyone else banging on about the wrestling tunes and when the team comes out for the second half that's peter's handiwork and he's the stadium announcer now and he he's spoken before about the sort of debt he paid to paul burrell who sort of took him under his wing when he first started and stuff like that so yeah there are stadium announcers i don't know i'm pretty sure it i think with announcers he means like literally there i mean like you know you would because it's their local media is so splintered Mm. you have like a traveling commentary team who will cover like for your local TV station, we'll cover every Chicago Bears, Chicago Bulls game. Um, so yeah, we don't quite have that. 
other than sort of club media but it, yeah, it's, club media. it's not you know it's not how you know like you you see the clips back i was watching clips of the Giroud scorpion kick and i've probably seen arsenal media's version of it so often that it's the commentary i associate with it but it's uh yeah it's much more about sort of sky as well but i mean there's definitely something about radio where it feels more i don't know you, you feel in the moment more i can still remember the commentary of van nistelrooy's missed penalty hmm. at old trafford like it was yesterday and it and the same as well for tony adams you know the radio commentary for adams goal against everton in the double winning season i mean that stuff's that stuff stays with you really strongly um yeah I, I love I love sport on the radio. I think it's absolutely fantastic. You know, I love driving home from some of the long trips I've had back from a north, you know, a game up north like Old Trafford or something like that. And you're coming home, you're listening to the night game or, you know, the days that I've been listening to Sunday at the Masters coming home. Yeah, from a, from a long golf away is great on the radio. Yeah, brilliant. Golf's fantastic on the radio. And rugby as well. You know, I'm not even a massive rugby fan, but I mm. love listening to to six nations or something like that on the radio i just think it just really adds to it the, the, the way they describe it i think it's, it's such a fantastic skill and yeah i love sport on the radio i think it's i think it's brilliant um okay we've got a couple more before we wrap this up we're at the, we started this thing thinking i we know were gonna, this was going to be a short one we're up to an hour and five minutes now and i'm uh very aware of that but um a couple on seabird 1328 says one year on how would you grade the business we did in january last transfer window in retrospect would you have preferred a different move for different player or players i thought this was an interesting one because i actually thought it was a decent transfer window for Arsenal in january um i really like trossard i think georgina has yeah. been a good sign in and kivior's obviously struggling a little bit now i don't i do think there's a good defender in kivior um it's not being helped by the fact he's having when he does play, he's having to play out of position at the moment for Arsenal. We've not really seen him have any sort of run as a centre back for them. Um, but I didn't think I didn't think it was a terrible window, but it was also a window where they had to react, didn't they? Because their main targets they didn't get, and so they had to quickly sort of move on and and react. And I thought they did react well. Um and they didn't spend huge amounts of money. Kivior was probably the most wasn't he or maybe Trossard, mm. but just ahead of that but you know Trossard's done a lot of good things again he's not in the best of form right now but no one is but I think Trossard you can't say was bad signing by any means and I think still think he's got a really big part to play this season so um yeah it's, it's a weird one would I've gone a different different player players I don't know because ultimately they were going for different players but they didn't get those players and so they had to quickly move and react in the way that they did yeah exactly they, I mean they, those different players have to sort of be available to you and i think you know we both have to judge the january window based on you know on a bit of a longer term view and sort of say how much have they strengthened the squad and i think each and every one of those players is is valuable yeah trossard is is really off his form right now but he's weighed in with so many assists and plenty of goals like it's a really really decent investment kivior as well i'm confident on and Jorginho, i was pretty anti signing him and i think for the most part i would say i've been wrong there you know he's he's done the the job he's been solid for a year and i think that's more than i thought he would be and like you know you also have to remember this was there was this real window that opened up here and i don't a year ago and i don't think arsenal could have done much different to attack it and win the title like I don't I mean I don't, there are maybe there are other players out there that would have got the goals and maybe with a but it, it, it they just gave it a really good go and it 
it fell short for reasons that were nothing to do with the signings they made. It was all about losing Saliba and Tomiyasu. And mm. I think they're all still valuable, useful players. So, you know, it's an eight out of 10 window for me. It's it's still good. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's unfair not. to sort of write Trossard off because of a bad couple of months. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I'm, I'm I'm with you. I think, you know, they, the reason Arsenal didn't win the title last season was definitely not their business in the January transfer window. It was the fact that, that Saliba got injured and, and um, Tommy Asu got injured at the same time. Had those two staying fit, I think Arsenal probably have won the title. And I think we'd have looked at the business they did in January as, being a, as playing a decent part in that. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it was... I certainly don't look back on it now as, a, as an awful dreadful window by any means okay this is the last one now it's from uh couldn't do two three five five says question for you guys if party performs well from now or from when he comes back uh until the end of the season would you offer him a new contract i feel it's extremely difficult to get a player with party's qualities his ability to play passes between the lines is extremely underrated and we have missed him this season party is in the starting lineup would immediately improve odegaard and saka love the show so there you go james would you if he comes back and he stays fit and plays well between now and the end of the season would you offer Thomas Party a new contract? You'd have a year left, right? Yeah. No, I don't think I'd rush to do that because the the, the fear with with Partey is you'll lock yourself into more years of of high wages for a player that's going to miss more games than he plays. So mm. if he comes back tomorrow, he will still have missed most of half of the season. So he'll uh, be thirty one in June. Party and he'll have a year left. He'll be 32 at the end of his contract. I'm not, I mean, you know, if Thomas Partey wants to take a significant wage cut and sign up for one more year, then I might. But, you know, I mean, let's assume that's not on the table. And I just, no, I, you know, he's, it's, it, this sounds really harsh, but I think if any club should have learned this, it's Arsenal. You know, Injured players, you still have to pay their wages in full. They still take up a space in your squad. Um, and they sort of, they complicate matters in terms of your future recruitment. So, no, I absolutely wouldn't offer Partey an extension. Um, I wouldn't be, that doesn't necessarily mean I'd be rushing to cash in on him because all along, I don't think Arsenal have ever looked at Partey and thought, we'll get our £50 million, whatever it was, back. It was you know, the, the length of his contract, what do we get out of him there? Um, and, you know, I don't think they thought they'd get, have the same player at the end of the contract that they got at the start. So I think with this one, I think you probably just let it roll if he has a good fitness season in 24-25. In um, and if the, the maths works, then you then you have that conversation. But I'm no, with you. and like you were saying earlier, they do need to have a long-term solution for, mm. for him as well. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't. I don't see how they can offer him a, a new contract. To be honest, yet in the summer, like you said, it's just it would seem quite a mad thing to do given his injury record. And look, I'm a like Thomas Pike's a fantastic footballer, and he, Arsenal are a better team when he's in the team. But he is out an awful long time, and I don't see how you can offer a long term contract to someone whose injury record has been what it has been since he's been at Arsenal when he's going to be 32 at the end of that contract. I just think from a, from a football and a business point of view, it just doesn't make any sense. And I wouldn't, again, same as you, I wouldn't be rushing out to sell him. I think if someone, you know, if some Saudi money came on the table for Thomas Partey, I'm, you know, I'm sure Arsenal would probably be willing to accept that just as they were last summer. But um, if that doesn't come, 
then I wouldn't be rushing to move him on. I'd keep him for the season. And if he means he goes on a free at the end of his contract, then then so be it. You know, like exactly what you said. This it was never a sign-in that you thought, oh, there's a sell-on value here on Thomas Party. It just wasn't. You don't buy a 28-year-old midfielder or whatever he was that's sort of late 27. Um, he's 27 to he's 28. Uh, how it <laughs> um, player and think of, there's got to be a big sell-on value there and so i you know if i still think he'd have a big part to play next season but um and then you could potentially look at it at the end of that and say okay what do you want to do thomas now do you want to take a big pay cut do you want to stay for another couple of years is see how your fitness has been next season and you reassess it then but i think for me in the summer no i don't think you give him a new contract i just don't i don't think it makes much sense from in sort of football business side of things Hundred percent. Well, mate, one minute, uh, one hour, thirteen minutes for a show that we, we started <laughs> off thinking what are we going to talk about. We actually managed to talk about quite a lot of stuff. So, thank you everyone for watching. I hope you enjoyed or listening, of course, as well. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. Uh, I hope it made up for the absence of it last week. Um, like I said, I'll be at London Colney tomorrow for Mikel Arteta's press conference. That's one thirty. So keep your eyes peeled for all the usual stuff from me there. And then both of us, myself and James, will be at. Um, at the Emirates on Saturday. I'm in the press box for this one, James. Yay! So I'll, I'll, I'll see you in there on Saturday. So again, all the usual live match stuff from both of us on that one. Until then, everyone, have a very good Thursday evening or Friday, depending on what time you're watching or listening to this. And uh, we'll be back next week to do it all over again. Bye-bye. See you soon. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 